There's a well-known adage that says, don't judge a book by its cover. In other words, don't be hasty to use outside appearances to form your opinions on what is on the inside. But we do it all the time, don't we? We see a well-dressed woman in a Mercedes, and we see her as a woman of status, and we see a disheveled man in a beat-up pickup truck, and we think that he is, well, he's down and out. We form opinions way too quickly using the wrong criteria. And this doesn't just happen outside the church. It happens within the church. And so we need to hear from Jesus' brother this morning. We need to hear from James. In today's passage, he gives um, an unfortunate case study for us to consider. Are, are we a church that shows partiality? Are you a person who shows partiality? Now, every sermon that I preach is dependent upon the wisdom and the insights of others. Today's no different, but I would like to acknowledge Sinclair Ferguson, great godly teacher. Uh, this morning, his insights have shaped this um, message this morning. We're in James uh, chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us this morning um, from Jesus' uh, dear brother James who loves this church, these churches that he's written to. May we receive um, the same instruction. May we receive the same grace that you have shown us in these passages. May we be transformed by the hearing of the word to be doers of the word, we pray. Amen. Were you here last summer when that famous movie star and her husband came to our church, walked in these doors, and everyone beheld her and looked at her and 
oh so friendly and welcoming. People were uh, moving over in their pews as if they were trying to make room. Perhaps you would come and sit next to them. I think some people were, were even thinking, I hope I get a chance to say hi to her after the service. Maybe I'll even get a selfie. But if you're up here where I was, looking over the congregation, you would have seen something else, too, at the same time. Another woman came in, an older woman. She was disheveled. She was wearing what seemed to be old clothes. And if I had to guess, she probably had a bit of a stink about her. She came in. She tried to grab a seat in the pew. And someone kind of motioned as well, as if it was being reserved for somebody. She went forward a few pews. And she found a seat. The woman she sat next to her, well, she quickly scooched over an inch. And then when, when everyone rose to sing, well, she scooched over another ten inches, all the while singing a hymn at the top of her voice. Same day, two totally different people, two totally different responses in the church. Now, you may be relieved to know that I, like James, have made up that story. But the question remains, if this actually did happen, if we had a prominent visitor and a poor person in shabby clothes walk through our doors at the same time, how would we react? Would we gravitate towards the person of notoriety and turn our backs on the the shabby clothed person? The truth is, we do have members here at Grace Church who barely make ends meet. We have people here who don't have a fancy university degree. And we also do have members that, well, they more than make ends meet. They've achieved a place of status, at least according to worldly measures. The question is, are all treated the same here? Now, I don't know about you, but I see in myself this tendency to show partiality. You know, there's just some people who walk through these doors that are just easy to like. They're easy to get along with. They don't come with a lot of baggage. They don't demand a lot of special attention. The temptation I face is to warmly welcome them while ignoring the needs of others. I have a tendency to judge a book by its cover. How about you? See, James wants us to question ourselves, just how we view others. Do we fawn over the polished while disparaging the poor? And you know, it's not just a distinction between rich and poor. We could also ask, how do we receive people of different skin colors or political parties or, or nations of origin? Believe it or not, says James, how we respond tells a lot about how we actually grasp the gospel. James helps us to see that God doesn't judge a book by its cover. Therefore, since God does not show partiality, neither should his children. That's what we'll be looking at this morning under three headings. First, we're going to look at the principle, then the exposure, and then the remedy. First, the spiritual principle. There's a wonderful story about a Chicago bank years ago that once asked for a letter of recommendation uh, about a young Bostonian who was being considered for employment. And the Boston Investment House could not say enough about the man as they wrote their recommendation. His father, they wrote, was a Cabot. 
His mother was a low wolf. Further, black, further back was a happy blend of Salton stalls, Peabody's, and other Boston's first families. His recommendation was given without hesitation. Several days later, the Chicago bank sent a note to the Boston Investment House saying the information that was supplied was altogether inadequate. The note they wrote read, We are not contemplating using the young man for breeding purposes. <laughs> just for work. Now, that's a funny story which illustrates how we tend to evaluate people based on externals. But the big idea that James wants us to understand is this principle. Don't show favoritism. Verse 1 says, show no partiality. Now, check this out. The Greek word that we translate show partiality is a word that did not exist until the New Testament. I guess it wasn't something which concerned the ancient Greco-Romans. Showing partiality was never really given a name. Everybody does it, right? It's always existed, but no one even thought it was so bad. After all, everybody shows partiality, right? It is until Jesus walked the earth. With the advent of Christ comes the advent of the Greek word that describes Christ and the life of the Christian, which is show no partiality. Now, the word in the Greek literally means a lifting of the face. That is, to depend upon appearances. That you would look at the appearance of a wealthy man in his Rolex and the, uh, the poor wearing his shabby clothes, and you would, as James says, make a distinction. Why are we given this principle of not showing favoritism? Quite simply because God who made us in his image does not show partiality or favoritism. Tom read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 10 where God declares this about himself. Remember, he says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial or takes no bribe and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. You know, one of the most important stories in the Bible is the story of how David, this young shepherd boy, was chosen by God to be the future king of Israel. The prophet Samuel, if you remember the story, came to the house of Jesse, David's father, and Samuel came to find the one that God had chosen to replace King Saul one day. And one by one, Jesse brought his boys before Samuel. Each son was strong and handsome and had a good resume of work experience. Outwardly, each one would have made the cut based on our eyes. But God said no to each and every one. And so Samuel asked, are these all your sons? And Jesse said, no, I've got one more, but he's a, he's a young lass. He's kind of just still a boy. He's out tending the sheep. I guess I'll go get him. And then in walks David. And then to everyone's astonishment, God says, he's the one. Why? What was God's criteria? Well, here's what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height or his stature. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
God does not see as mankind sees. Man looks at outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so the spiritual principle is this. God looks in the heart. He looks beyond the diploma on the wall. He looks beyond the tailoring of the clothes. God looks beyond the expensive handbag. God looks beyond the tales of great travels. God looks beyond the bank balance. God looks at the heart. God shows no partiality. His mercy and grace come despite what is on the outside. So Sinclair Ferguson provides the following application. He says, it may be that we have to learn how to be with people. (laughs) And this may be hard for us. The truth of the matter is that some of us find it easier to be with the down and outers than with the up and outers. And some of us find it easier to be with the up and outers than with the down and outers. But the great thing we need to learn is that whether up or down, apart from the outpouring of God's mercy, listen, both are out. Therefore, it is our calling to express our hearts to others, not on the basis of appearance, but on the basis of spiritual reality. So the spiritual principle is don't show favoritism. Now for the exposure. James is saying if this is how you live, then it exposes a deep personal sin. And what is that sin? Look at verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And listen, and become judges with evil thoughts. That's pretty strong language, right? That's not the language we want to hear. The language we want to hear is, well, you know, there are people who are more difficult than others and we should be able to treat them accordingly. We should be able to exclude them. And so we think, wouldn't the church be a much better place if all the messy, needy people who require so much grace weren't around? And then I realize I'm a messy, needy person who is in need of much grace. And so are you. And so are you. Showing partiality is a sin that we should take seriously. Why? Three reasons, real quickly. First, listen, when you disregard someone based on their shabby appearance and neediness, it's as if you're saying, I wish you weren't here. I wish you did not exist. James wants us to understand that when you treat someone as if they should not exist, you are judging them with evil thoughts. Second, when I discriminate this way, I'm... I'm actually blind to the attitude of God towards the needy. What I'm really saying is, God, you can have your attitude towards the needy, and I will have mine, and I will go my own way. Throughout Scripture, there is a disposition on the part of God to care for the needy. And Jesus takes up that disposition in his teaching and in his actions. Jesus has a disposition toward the needy. And listen, the remarkable thing about Jesus is that it matters not if they are the down and outers or the up and outers. They are both needy in Jesus' eyes. So you see, the problem when I see the finely dressed man from a high position in society and I fawn over him and treat him simply by appearances 
that I'm spiritually blind to the man's needs. This man who is desperately in need of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he may not even know that. And I'm responding to him as though he doesn't need God's saving grace. And then there's this other person dressed in shabby clothes. And I see that that person is in desperate need, but the only thing I think they need is food or clothing or a job. I don't see that their greatest need is for God's grace and his mercy in their their lives. And so my heart really goes not to either. And so I'm really blind to the attitude of God to the needy, be they rich or poor. James says, if that's true, then I'm an insult to the grace of God. Thirdly, he adds something. You know, we need to be glad that these people knew that James really loved them, right? He's like a surgeon with a scalpel. And he says, I'm not going to finish till I'm done with the surgery. I'm going to lay everything bare so you can heal. He says, you know, you're also blind to the attitudes of the rich towards the church. In verses 6 and 7, James reminds him, what? It's the rich who oppress you and they drag you into the courts. And it's the rich who blaspheme the name of, of your Lord. So why in the world are you fawning over them? And we can do this to this day, can we not? We think if we only can have those really influential kinds of people. If only we could get the rich and famous celebrities who live out here to come among us, then then the world would notice Grace Presbyterian Church. But what is it that they would notice? Well, James is saying what they won't notice is grace. All they will see is appearances. See, my friends, this is a great problem, isn't it? That we see people only with the eyes of sight, not with the eyes of grace. We see people in terms of the judgments of this world, not in terms of the assessment of what God might make upon their lives. And so long as this is true, listen, so long as this is true, we are never free to serve and love and grace the rich who are needy, nor the poor who are needy. See, that's what James is speaking about here. When God works in our hearts and helps us to realize the ungodliness of our own disposition and cry out to him for mercy, when we see our own need of mercy, then we begin to see the need that other people have for God's mercy. It always works that way. If I don't see my own heart and my own need of grace, then I'm never going to think about anybody else in terms of their needs and their hearts and the needs that they have of God's grace. Isn't that the lesson of the book of Jonah? Jonah couldn't give a rat from the Ninevites. He was heading in the opposite direction. Until when at the bottom of the sea, in the belly of a fish, he realized that he was the one who needed saving. And it's when he saw his own need, that he cried out, salvation is of the Lord. It's then that he began, however imperfectly, to be equipped to go to that great city of Nineveh and speak to those in Nineveh about their great need of grace. 
So to the blind, to be blind to the attitude of God to the poor, to be blind to the attitude of God to the rich, is at the end of the day to be blind to my own need of saving grace. And so long as I don't need saving grace, I'm not really going to think about anybody else needing saving grace. He's a pretty good surgeon, isn't he? That James. So that's the spiritual principle and the sin it exposes. Now for the remedy. The remedy is the gospel planted in our souls. As a refresher, the word gospel literally means good news. The good news that God gives us through Christ, that God's saving grace comes to you without any partiality. Now James shows us three ways that this gospel is our remedy. In verse 1, we see the remedy comes by holding on to our faith in the Lord. It says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. There is something about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord of glory, that empowers us to show no partiality. Remember, the Apostle Paul uses similar language, right? Remember when he wrote in 2 Corinthians For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, listen, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus, the Lord of glory, who dwelt in heaven, came to earth and became self-impoverished. In his humiliation and in his suffering on the cross for us, Jesus became poor for us. And therefore, by faith, we have become rich in him with the riches of heaven itself. Christian, it is your faith in the Lord of glory that gives you a new mind. It's the mind of Christ. A mind that tells the eyes to look past the externals. Don't be distracted by the Rolex watches. Don't be dissuaded by those shabby, stinky clothes. Isn't it true that's what Jesus did for us? He looked past our prideful stances. He looked past how we clutched our idols. He looked into our souls and saw our need for mercy and grace. And he came to us with warmth and welcome. So part one of the remedy is to hold to your faith in Christ, the Lord of glory. But James also tells us to hold on to something else. We are to cling to God's promise. He expresses it in the form of a rhetorical question in in verse 5. Look at there. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? You know, we live in a world that tempts us to just look at the externalities. When we feel like fawning over someone of status and hope, you know, we, we look at people as they come into our lives and, and we see them as uh, maybe having wealth or status that we're attracted to. And we, we can be tempted to fawn over them. We kind of hope that some of their status or wealth kind of trickles down to us, right? But remember this. Remember God's promise of an inheritance that is far greater than any earthly riches. 
Understand this. Even the richest man in the world, and who happens to be uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, even the richest man in the world is poor compared to the riches of God. James is wanting us to think about what is coming our way if we belong to Christ, an inheritance from God that makes any earthly riches seem like moldy white bread. God has promised a glorious home upon a new earth and a new heavens and an age to come. There will be a day when all of this passes away and God brings us by his grace into that eternal age to come. So may this promised gift of God be something that we cling to. May it inform how we think so that we do not show any partiality of any kind. So the remedy involves holding on to faith, clinging to the promises of God. And lastly, the remedy involves a beautiful thing. It's the triumph of mercy. In verses 8 through 12, we don't have time to go into them really, but James presses to the point that showing partiality, once again, is sinful. We might like to downplay it by saying, well, it's not like I'm committing adultery, right? But James' point in verse 10 is, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Yikes. The point is, we cannot take partiality lightly. Remember, when you show someone partiality, you become a judge over them with evil thoughts. You, in a sense, you wish they were dead. That's like murder, right? And so James wants us to be clear that anyone who judges others by showing partiality is what? Is liable to be judged by God as well. Now, some of you are thinking, is that the remedy? God's going to judge us, so I need to, you know, be a good Christian and not do the bad things? That's not James's point here. Verses 12 and 13, James reminds the Christians that God has not judged them as they deserved. Instead, he has shown them mercy instead of judgment. Because of this, James writes in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who have been judged under the law of liberty, freedom. In other words, you've been saved by grace. The law of God has led you to repentance. And now the law of God can no longer condemn you but it will lead you in liberty. You now want to obey God's law as it transforms you in goodness. And goodness is good, right? Now, James says, live as one who's been liberated by God's mercy. If not, you must be an imposter. And you've never received God's mercy in the first place. God's DNA is not in you. How do we know this? Look at verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. If God's DNA is in you, then you will be merciful when you judge others. But if you lack mercy, then what? We prove you really have never really belonged to God. You're not his child because God's children delight in God's mercy. They've received mercy from their heavenly Father and therefore Though imperfectly, they love his mercy and desire to give it to others. See, this is the beautiful point to end on. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy towards you and me triumphs over what we really deserve from God. And so the Christian is one who cannot shake from his or her thoughts God's radical love. And therefore... This, this radical love that does not overlook our sin, but mercifully triumphs over 
the judgment that we deserve. James wants this reality that, that God's mercy triumphs over judgment to be at the forefront of our minds as, we, as, as people enter into our lives. Be they rich or poor, all people share the same inner need. As Paul writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person, rich or poor, is in need of reconciliation from God. None of us has the spiritual riches within us to redeem ourselves out of debt. We all deserve God's judgment. But God, who is rich in mercy, by His grace, makes us alive in Christ Jesus. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we've seen this morning the spiritual principle. We're to show no partiality. We've seen that partiality exposes within us a judgmental heart, which actually sins against God. And we've seen that though God has done something wonderful, He's given us a remedy. His mercy triumphs over judgment. Dr. Ferguson tells a story of a professor, Randall Sharps, whose son wrote a book titled The Green Eyes of the Storm. In it, he tells about one of his father's colleagues, a, a, phys- a physician who, who told him after his father's death about how an old hag of a woman was brought into the hospital and the consultant realized that the woman needed to see Professor Sharp because of his his specialty. And this man said, listen, he said, I took this old woman to your father and he treated her as though she was a princess. A princess. May we be a church that's not distracted by the externals. May we see all alike, be they rich or poor, black or white, professional or working class. May we see inside the needs of the heart. May we see all as God sees all. And may we love all as God loves all. May mercy triumph over judgment. Let's pray. Father, we confess that your word, when applied to our hearts, cuts. It cuts deep. But we're also thankful that your gospel of grace heals us. We pray that we would take to heart what you would have us take to heart as we walk out these doors. May we see people differently. May we see people as you see people. People in need of mercy and grace, no matter their status in this world. May we love with a passionate love. We pray in the name of our Savior. Amen.